Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Most people here, I think, will be familiar with the story, how Stephen is one of the people who was chosen um, to be in charge of distributing food. The first complaint in, well, first recorded complaint in church, while there were, there were the Jewish Christians and there were the Hebrew Christians, sorry, the um, Greek Christians, and the Greek Christians were up, they were a much smaller group. They were concerned that their widows were missing out in the distribution of the food, so a group of people were put in charge of um, distribution, and Stephen was one of them. But what I'm interested in is the criteria for the choice. So, in verse 3 of chapter 6, Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. Um, And then a bit later on, verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Um, so, the first thing I'd like us to <coughs> sort of reflect upon are who, who are our champions in our community? Who are the people who are our models or our, the people we look at and the people we sort of choose to represent us? Uh, we tend to like people who are charismatic, who are funny, who are gifted, who are clever, um, and they're all handy things at times, but the only criteria we have here are wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. However, how do you know who that is? So, let's, let's make it real, not just hypothetical. If I was to ask you, who are the people here who are full of the Holy Spirit? How can we work that out? A bit earlier, actually, at the end of chapter 4, towards the end of chapter 4, when all the church was praying together, um, or after they prayed, it said in verse 31 of chapter 4, when they had prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God boldly. Um, So I think at least part of what's going on here is... Remember, these were nearly all Jews, and I think part of it, this is code for born again. You're not just someone who believes in God or believes in the law or meets in the temple. This, this is a new, distinct thing. It's just after Pentecost. You're the people who are born again in the Holy Spirit. So, I think part of it's that, but it's more than that. It's also, um, we want people who are walking the Christian life. Paul, a bit later on, Galatians chapter 5 says, keep in step with the Spirit. We want, we want to be represented by people who are in step with the Spirit. Um, and that's great too, but I'm not sure that that gets us all that much further who we're going to pick, because how do you know who they are? Um, you can look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, kindness, um, but some people are just really nice. Some people start from a high bar, like a high place. 
some people start way down the bottom. Um, you might think I'm nice too. We can put on niceness, and but I know that I fail. If you, if I, if my criteria for being a representative or a leader was that I had to tick all the boxes of the fruits of the spirit, I'm out of here immediately. I fail that. So the test isn't that we've reached some sort of proper standard of godliness, I don't think, but it's, are you being transformed? Are you being changed? Is Jesus growing you from glory to glory to glory? Um, and I think, now don't, maybe this, don't write this bit down, this is just where I'm at, but I think the way I test this is whether people are um, good at please, sorry and thank you which is sort of the heart of the gospel. Um, but are they people who are chasing after grace, desperately crying out to God, please, Lord, God, change me, grow me, um, quick to say sorry, um, quick to forgive, people who you're not scared to confront with something, you're not scared that they're going to jump on you, or even if they do jump on you, you know that they'll, they'll sort it out. Um, people who are thankful... I think that's the test. Please, sorry, thank you. It's not that you've got to hear, but you're desperately wanting God to change you and grow you, and you're wanting grace. You're a repenter. But even if I'm not completely right about that, here's another thing too. It's not just about that um, here's a person who walks in the Spirit. It's also what's going on here, being a public Christian is a profoundly spiritual activity. Like, I think we like to think, you know what, if we have some talents or some skills, then that will cut it in the public arena. But that is not what's going on here. Um, the end of chapter 6, it says, um, where are we? All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Um, and then at the end you see he has a vision of heaven. These are not just ordinary humans' things. It's not, hey, he's very clever at crafting a talk. This is profoundly spiritual. And if you want to stand in public, you need to do it in the Spirit and trusting in the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit in that sense. It's really the, the story of Acts is what the Spirit's doing and we need to sort of follow along with that. So it's not about being articulate or clever or funny. It reminds me of a story, a friend of mine, I don't think I've told this story before, his name was Ralph. When he was like, he might have been 18 or 17, he was a, a violent atheist, not, not physically violent, but he was a, um, a militant atheist and he was... Um, at school with a friend of his, in about year 12, and his friend was a Christian and he mercifully attacked him for his faith and came up with question after question and challenge after challenge to the point where this, this kid just had no answers really, so I don't, I can't answer that, I don't know what you're saying, um, I don't know enough. So he took him to his minister at church, uh, the Christian took Ralph to the minister and then Ralph sort of put his challenges to the minister and for about an hour he told the minister all the problems with Christianity and um, got all this stuff out there, objection, objection, angry, angry, angry. Um, the minister said nothing for the whole hour and then at the end of the hour, the minister just said to him, Ralph, would you like to become a Christian? 
And Ralph said, yes, I would. <laughs> and so they, and he said, let's pray. And he became a Christian on the spot. He ended up as a leader in our church. Um, now, I haven't got a clue what, it, what the minister, how he discerned that. I don't know. But that's what we're talking about. We're talking about God changing people, the Holy Spirit bringing people to life. Um, this, is, this is what it means to be in the Spirit. This is not just about developing skills. That's the first thing. Keep in step with the Spirit. Treat this whole public Christian thing as a spiritual thing, um, not just as a skill, exercising skills or charm or um, good posture. That's the first tip. Second tip, be prepared to go public whoever you are. Again, in chapter 6 here, we get a really interesting verse, verse 2. The 12 summoned the whole company of disciples, this is after the complaints, and said, it would, be not, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the Word of God to wait on tables, so we're going to select these people. Um, and so, what you had was really early on, the church was setting apart like the professional public Christians. You're going to be the apostles, you're going to be the preachers and the prayers. They're the qualified people. Um, and they also set apart people to be the servants, and that was Stephen. Literally, he was a, a waiter. That was his job, to wait on tables. Um, that's far, it's far too important, this gospel work. Um, the professionals need to do that so that these other people can serve the table so we can get on about it. Um, and it's fascinating that God decides to set apart Stephen to be the first martyr. And funnily enough too, all of chapter 7 is a sermon and a prayer. Um, like the servant, the table, the waiter guy, the table guy, is the one who ended up doing the preaching and the praying publicly. I'm sure that he wasn't expecting it to happen. Now, don't get me wrong, there is nothing wrong with setting apart professional um, ministers who can preach the gospel and who are gifted, that's great. But, it seems to me that God regularly sets apart unexpected people and he's in the business of turning things upside down and using the weak and the lowly to shame the wise and the powerful. Again, we set apart our public Christians. We've got our John Dixons and our, you can name your apologists, your Billy Grahams, all those people. Um, but be prepared for God to set you apart, um, perhaps to do extraordinary things. There was a guy in our church, he was a physio. He um, was single, he was around about 50. And literally next door to him was a refugee centre in Melbourne. And he thought, well, I'm, I've got time on my hands. I could go and volunteer there and help, help out the refugees with a bit of physio. And when he got there, he realised, he just did it one evening a week, he realised that most of the refugees there were Muslims. And he thought, well, I don't really know how to preach the gospel to Muslims. So he came to our church because that's what we were doing. He thought, I'll pick up some tips there. He also thought, you know what, I should learn a bit of Arabic, because they all speak Arabic, so he enrolled at night classes at uni, picked up a little bit of Arabic, not very much. 
And then he thought, after a while of this, maybe a year or two, he thought, you know what, I, I'm a physio, I can go anywhere and do this because you sort of got a bit of a taste of it. So he just, he didn't approach missionary organisations, he wasn't a missionary, he just um, looked up the medical websites for jobs and he found a job site, uh, found a job in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia and just took it, flew off to Saudi Arabia, ended up in uh, the main military hospital and then from there he was selected to be in a specialist team who was working for the royal family. And then from there he was selected to be in the handful of personal physios to the king of Saudi Arabia. Um, so he was literally had his hands on the king. And all it started was a servant saying, I want to care for the person literally next door. And he ends up in Saudi Arabia literally with his hands on the king and praying for people, praying with people. You have no idea. Don't be surprised if God asks you to step up. And don't be surprised God works upside down all the time. The Filipinos are my heroes. They are the most effective missionary force in the world and are not professionals. They're, they're domestic workers and they're labourers and they are transforming the Middle East. There's a revival happening in Saudi Arabia and it's through them. It's not through the professionals. They're all too scared. Professional Christians are too scared of getting kicked out. They're too scared to preach the gospel. That's the second one. Be prepared to be a public Christian, whoever you are. Number three. Yeah. I have here written down, pick, pick a hill to die on, but I've changed it to recognise the hill to die on. Um, you don't get to pick it, I don't think. The end of verse, uh, in verse 13 of chapter 6, you have the accusations against Stephen that he was hauled up in public for. Uh, they presented false witnesses who said, this man never stopped speaking against this holy place and the law, for we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. Stephen didn't get to choose the, the, the hill that he was going to take his public stand on. That was chosen for him by the culture around him. Um, and it's chosen by the sort of sacred cows, the idols of your culture. Um, I'm sure the Jews were more than happy for Stephen to go about serving tables. But if you touch the sacred cows of um, temple or at least Jewish identity... We say because we're descendants of Abraham and we have the law. If you touch that, you're in trouble because they're our, they're our markers, they're our sacred cows. And that's what he spoke against, that you could be saved through that and that's when they got angry. He didn't get to choose that. I'm sure he'd rather not have a fight about that if possible. He'd probably, like all of us, I just want to tell you about Jesus. I don't want to have a discussion about this. But he didn't get to choose that. Um, and we don't get to choose it either. We don't get to choose the sacred cows of our culture. Um, and there'll be lots of times where people are more than happy for us to sit quietly and do our thing. But if you touch the sacred cow, that's when people get angry. Um, and I think we could debate it, but I think the, the central sacred cow for us is 
like a radical self-determination. I can be who I want to be. I can do whatever I want to do, and don't you dare put any boundaries around me. Um, I can even redefine what it is to be a human if I want, thank you very much, and certainly you can't tell me, tell me how to shape that. That's where we're headed. Um, and at some point, you're going to need to work out how am I going to talk about how a Christian framework for what it is to be human and do relationships, how can that be loving in a world where love is love? Um, you're going to have to work out how to articulate that. Um, I worked for a few years at the Centre for Public Christianity and we got in Richard Moorcroft, I don't know if most people here would probably remember him, he was the ABC newsreader for a long time, he's a really nice guy. Um, and he came to train us about how to answer questions in public. And that's what he said to me. He said, um, when it came to my turn to answer a question, he says, why do you hate gays? Isn't love just love? Why do you hate gays? And I'm going, well, and I sort of st started stumbling out a bit of an answer. He was great. He just kept pushing, good, keep working, keep going, keep going. Um, again, it's not... I'm not trying to just skill you up, but you're going to have... This, these will be the discussions you're going to have. This is the stuff that people are going to be angry about um, and where you might have to take a stand on how you can articulate Christian love and the gospel as being profoundly loving. Why is that true love? Um, again, you, it might be something different, but you won't get to choose it. You won't get to choose the thing that you'll have to take your stand on for Jesus but you'll need to be ready. You'll need to recognise it in your context. Fourth tip, speak truth sensitively and boldly. We really don't have, a time to have time to walk through the whole of his talk, but it was profoundly contextualised. It started off with brothers and fathers, um, and then it walked through the family history. I mean, he was Jewish. He, he was talking through the family history, um, and it was profoundly biblical, that's their thing. They know the Bible. Um, but here's the thing, I wonder if you could, if I asked you what you thought his tone was or his, like the voice he was speaking in, what do you think it sounds like? Particularly when he gets to the, you stiff-necked people, you've never listened. What do you reckon that sound like? Because my hunch is, you sort of think, yeah, he was, he was angry or grumpy, but I don't think so. Um, it was he was talking like fam talking to family and talking saying he might have been frustrated and it was probably loud he's Middle Eastern um, I don't know if you've spent much time in the Middle East he, here's a tip don't I don't want to push this too far but if you've ever watched Seinfeld I reckon try reading the Gospels with a George Costanza tone or even like Jerry Sunford talking to his parents type tone it's loud and it's there's a sort of a sense of humor to it there's an edge to it um, and they're yelling and they're really in there for each other's faces but it's completely you know, it's not that's not serious but like there's everyone loves it and they're enjoying it and there's it's family and we do loud family and I think that's what this is this was the Middle East it was loud family and he spoke bluntly it was contextual um, but it was sensitive and it was caring and it was loving. And again, when we speak, um, we can't just sort of 
hold back on things. We need to say the things that are true. But yeah, we'll say them lovingly. But be bold. You have to disagree sometimes and be bold about it. That's tip four. Tip five. Um, Recognise the mob space. Um, This was a mob context. He was speaking to a crowd. Verse 54 of chapter 7. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together they rushed against him and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. That's what mobs do. Mobs rush and gnash and pile on. He was speaking to a mob. In public, you don't speak to individuals. You speak to the mob. And you need to understand the dynamics of that. By the way, not all mobs are angry. Some are happy. You go to a comedy festival, the mob wants to laugh. They want to enjoy themselves. You go to football, the mob has a particular thing. Mobs gather for a purpose. Um, But this mob was gathered for a heresy trial. Um, And so they they were angry from the start. There was nothing he was going to be able to say that was going to keep everyone happy. Um, And if he was going to take his stand, then um, people's anger could easily turn into uh, gnashing and rushing and stoning. That's what angry mobs do. Um, But we don't speak to mob. And here's the other thing, mobs don't change their mind. They're there for that purpose. They're there defensively and aggressively. Individuals change their mind, not the mobs. And so as he spoke, it would be individuals who would have heard it and changed their mind. But you don't always see that. And that's true of us too. When we speak in public, you speak to a mob, but it's individuals who will change their minds. You need to understand that. Um, I remember a few years back, there was a minor celebrity atheist who was brought out to Melbourne and he was on a speaking tour and... Um, I got invited to offer like a response to his talk. The rationalist and the secularist and the atheist society hired a theatre. There was, I don't know, 300 people there, something like that. And this guy was doing a talk and I was invited to give a response. And this crowd was 99% rabid atheist. Um, There were literally less than a handful of Christians who were my friends who came along. Um, And you could see in the social media beforehand, everyone was already piling onto me before I'd even turned up. Um, And then we got there and they they spoke. And actually the discussion was pretty good, but the questions were um, vehemently aggressive and negative towards me. Um, Anyway, afterwards, um, the few of us, uh, me and our friends, we just went out for a coffee afterwards, just in one of the little lanes in Melbourne, And just on the table next to us, there was a young couple and they sort of turned and said, oh, you were at that thing, that atheist thing. I said, yeah. They said, we we knew nothing about anything. We just came because we heard it advertised on ABC Radio and we thought, well, check that out. And we listened to it and we thought the things that you said were way better than the things that other guys said. Um, And that's how it works. You have no idea. Um, you speak to the mob and the mob's angry and it will yell and it will scream, but you have no idea who God's touching. Again, it's a spirit thing. 
This is why later on in Acts, I think I've talked about it before, my favourite verse is um, where um, there's a vision, Paul gets a vision saying, don't give up. I have people in this city. You might not see them now, but I've got people in this city. So that's five. Recognise that the public, it's going to be a mob environment and it can seem highly hostile, but God has his people there. And the last one, die well. I've got die in inverted commas. Although for Stephen it wasn't in inverted commas. But verse 59, while I was stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. It's worth remembering, like we're getting tips from Stephen on how to be a public Christian, but this did not go very well for him. Um, I think he's a brilliant example of how to stand for Jesus, but it ended up with him being stoned. Um, So it's not successful in that sense. But he died well and he died, literally died like Jesus. He died with the words of Jesus when he died on his lips. He died with grace, he died with forgiveness... He died with prayer. Again, here's someone full of the Spirit, full of wisdom and Spirit right to the end. Um, and as we be public Christians, it may or may not go well for us and we might die, we might die like a comedian dies where everything we say falls completely flat. Um, it gets nothing back. Um, but again, just we need to die well. We need to lose well. We need to be Jesus people, grace people, people who are more concerned for the people hearing us than ourselves, desperately wanting them to know forgiveness and know grace. Um, That's how Jesus died, that's how Stephen died, that's how we're called to die. Let me pray and then we can talk a bit more about that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Stephen, thank you that he was one of your children who was full of wisdom and walked in your spirit. I thank you that he was a man of grace. And thank you that he trusted you all the way to the end. Thank you that he did recognise his context and where he had to stand, where the truths he needed to speak and where we needed courage and boldness. And we pray that that would be true of us too, Lord. Surprise us, Lord, by how you use us and who you use uh, to stand publicly for you. Help us to be good at recognising our very particular context and what we're likely to run into and give us the words to say and whether that goes well or badly, Lord. Keep us always people of grace who are keeping in step with your spirit and reading what you're doing in the place around us. And we thank you for these things and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.